All right. Well, good evening. How you guys doing? Doing good? All right. All right. Hey, uh, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in two places tonight. We're going to start in Luke chapter 24, and then we are going to spend the rest of the time in uh, Gen- or not, Exodus chapter 1 and kind of at the beginning of Exodus. So we're going to use uh, Luke to kind of springboard us. So guys, we get, we're starting a brand new series tonight that I'm really excited about. Uh, the, the way that this kind of came about was, was, I guess, a couple reasons. One, um, as we uh, do Sunday school here on Sunday mornings at 9.30, one of the favorite uh, things that we've done over the last several years is kind of just walk through the entire Bible. I'm like, what is the Bible? How do we read it? What's in it? How do we interpret it? How do we know what's going on? And so, uh, and then secondly, this series that we're starting is called Just Jesus from Genesis to Revelation. And um, if there was one concept that completely changed my faith, faith, this was it. I grew up believing that the Bible was just a, a chaotic, I guess, grouping of stories that were supposed to do something, um, but I wasn't sure how they were connected. But when I, when I learned more about the Bible, what the Bible's actually about, it started to change my world. And so for the next four weeks, I hope you do not miss one single week. We're gonna walk through the entire Bible and show you the thread of Jesus from the beginning to the end in four weeks. And yes, on Halloween, we are gonna dive into Revelation. It's gonna be fantastic, all right? So make sure you wear your costumes, and we will have a party afterwards after we talk about Revelation. Hey, let me pray for us real quick while we get going. Lord, as well, thank you for um, just bringing each of us here. Lord, we just sang about your spirit. The very spirit that was present with Jesus, bringing him from death to life. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask you to do work in us tonight. And Lord, I don't think we would be able to move forward, Lord, if we don't also acknowledge the pain in this world, the evil that exists, and that we are desperate for you to return. Because you are our hope. Lord, would you protect those who are in danger? Would you care for those who are scared and hurting and grieving? But more than anything, Lord, would you show your goodness in the midst of the issues and problems and tragedies of our world? And we praise things in your name. Amen. You know, one of my favorite um, videos to watch whenever it comes across my, my Instagram feed is one of two videos. It's the one where someone's deaf and they get to listen for the first time. Like every time my wife and I watch these, guarantee she cries. If you know her, you know that, right? And then to me, I just, it's just awesome to see what was not now be. And then the other one is the, the, the videos of, of people who are colorblind. And then someone for their birthday or Christmas, they buy them these glasses that they put on and they can see in full color. You guys seen these? You know what I'm talking about? Thank you for the head nods. Um, It's just awesome. It's awesome to see someone go from not having anything, any knowledge, any experience, and then at a flip of a switch or the put on of glasses, their whole world changes. It's just awesome. 
the smiles, the tears, the hugs. It's a game changer. And this idea of just Jesus, that he is the thread that you can trace from one end of the Bible to the other, that was like for, that was for me, putting on those glasses for the first time. I read the Bible, I went to church, I, I, I sang the songs, I went to VBS, did the youth group stuff, did the summer camps, I did all the things, not knowing that I was reading the Bible in black and white. I was just trying to figure out what, what's the good moral lesson here so I can be a better person, right? And ultimately what I learned is that the Bible is not primarily about these things. Listen carefully and I think you'll find yourself in these at some level. The Bible is not primarily about you being a good person. That is not the goal of the Bible. The Bible is not primarily a to-do or to-don't list. It's not a tips and tricks for a happy life, better week, and a better season. It's not life hacks. That is not what the Bible is for. It is not a collection of good moral lessons to help you be a better person so that God will be happy with you so that you can call yourself a good Christian. That's not what the Bible is about. And this one may sting a little bit, but this is a wonderful, this is wonderful news. The Bible is primarily not about you or me. We are not the main character of the Bible. We're just not. What the Bible is, is the Bible is God's story. It's, it's the telling of God's story from the beginning of time to the end of time. It is God's story. It is a unified story with one main character, and his name is Jesus. It's one story, one narrative about the creation, the fall, redemption, and new creation to come. It's one story of God's activity, the good news of God's plan to redeem his creation. And the announcement, the proclamation that his kingdom is now here. And we know it because of the life, the death, and the resurrection of God's son, Jesus. This changes everything. This is putting on those glasses. And it's like, whoa. Because when you start reading the Bible to see Jesus on every page, in every story, in every parable, in every psalm, guess what you will do? You will see Jesus. Because the Bible is not about you. It is about Jesus and God's activity through him to redeem all of creation. You see, if we don't start with the right understanding of what the Bible's trying to do and we don't get the whole picture then we're missing out on so much when we read the Bible, when we study it, when we hear it preached, when we sing the words of it. Like here's another way I think about it. Like if you pull out a puzzle, how many of you guys do puzzles like at Christmas or Thanksgiving with your families? Anybody? Or is that just me? We're weird? Okay, no, there are. Like it wouldn't make sense to do a puzzle without the picture. Like maybe you're really good and you're just like, hey, I can do that. I can't. Like it's just a bunch of colors. And you're like, well, I think this piece goes here. I think this might be something. Like that was me growing up, well into my 20s. It was me trying to put the picture of the Bible together without any picture. And then, because of good teachers that I surrounded myself with, 
they started to show me, Andy, the Bible isn't about you. It is about God redeeming you, but it's ultimately about his activity. It's his story. And here's the cool thing is from the beginning of the Bible to the end, God is, it's God's story, and he's inviting you into his story. I think sometimes we get it backwards. We think, God, I'm gonna invite you into my story because we live in an individualistic society. And everything's about the individual, it's about me, what I want, what, what I think I should do. That's not Christianity. Christianity is you yielding and submitting to his story of redemption, both for you and for others. God's revelation throughout the Old Testament anticipates and announces beforehand the redemption that he would accomplish in the person and work of his son, Jesus Christ. You see, the Old Testament is a foreshadowing of Christ and God's redemption plan. So tonight, what we're gonna talk about is seeing Jesus clearly in the Old Testament. We're gonna put the glasses on and to see clearly that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is not a New Testament idea. He's the thread through the whole thing. So to do that, we're gonna go back to one of these moments in the New Testament. We're gonna start in the New Testament because Jesus starts to talk about the Old Testament. It's one of those moments, you know when someone asks you, like, hey, if you could go to any concert in the world, which one would you go to? Or hey, if you could go back to one time in history, what would you go back to see? Well, if the question was, what are the moments in scripture, Andy, that you would like to go back to, it would be Luke 24, 15 through 27. Here's why. Jesus has been crucified. The tomb is empty, and the disciples are like, what the heck is going on? And we pick up in verse 15 of Luke 24. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Jesus asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast, one of them named Clopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? What happened, Jesus asked. I like to think that Jesus may be just jerking around a little bit. <laughs> like maybe, maybe he's just messing with his guys, right? But Clopas says this, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people, the chief priests, and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what, and, and what is more, it is the third day since all of this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, today, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said, he is alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. And then Jesus said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken, Old Testament. Do not 
Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning, here's the line, and beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. What a moment. What a moment where Jesus, the son of God, said, boys, let me tell you, I've been here for a long time. And he said, starting with Moses and all of the prophets, Jesus told them, hey, this was me, and this was me, and this was pointing to me, and this was foreshadowing me, and this was me. It's like, where did he start, and what did he leave out, and what did he, like, I would love to be in this conversation. And so when I think about, when we look at Jesus here and say, what, what did Jesus do? He, he walked him through all the Old Testament and said, this is, let me show you myself. He's the thread of the entire Bible. I thought, well, what, what could we talk about? What would Jesus talk about? He was there. He knew the whole thing. Well, we, we could tonight talk about the 300 plus Old Testament prophecies that Jesus Christ, that point to Jesus Christ and were fulfilled by him through his life on earth. I mean, we could talk about Isaiah chapter seven, verse 14 that talked and predicted Jesus' birth. We could talk about Isaiah 61 that talked about his earthly mission. We could look at Psalm 22 and, just, and, and read the words of the death of Christ on the cross. Heck, we could go back to Adam and Eve and look through the, the fact that through one man, sin entered the world and through one man, eventually sin would be conquered for all. We could look at Abraham and Isaac Abraham, who took his one and only son because God told him to go sacrifice his son, knowing that one day God would take his one and only son and be sacrificed for our benefit. Or we could talk about Joseph, the foreigner who was sent to Egypt to save God's people. We could talk about manna in the wilderness because one day it wouldn't be manna, it would be Jesus, the bread of life, that would sustain his church. Or we could talk about the story of Boaz and Ruth, where Boaz takes in this woman who's a foreigner, paying off all of her debts at his own cost to welcome her into his family. Or we look at David, King David, and we can look at Goliath, because it was David's victory over Goliath that was for the whole nation of Israel, not just for himself, that one day there will be another warrior who would take on another Goliath for the benefit of all of humanity. Or we can look at Jonah and his whale, who was a messenger of God's grace and mercy against a rebellious and evil people to show them the kindness and mercy of God. Or we could look at the Old Testament tabernacle. It was the presence of the Lord with his people that one day God would send his one and only son to be with us. Emmanuel is what that word means. God with us. And you, like, guys, time after time after time, Jesus is all over, under, and through the Old Testament. He's all over it. It's not just irrelevant stories of history. It is God's story playing itself out that he would redeem not just Israel, his people, but all of humanity to himself. This, is, this, was, this was the news to me. This was it. 
This was the putting on the the colorblind glasses and all of a sudden scripture became full color to me because I started seeing Jesus on every page and every story and every parable and every character. It's all, it's all a foreshadowing to Jesus. And so tonight we're gonna be, we were in Luke, but where did Jesus start? He started with Moses, so that's where we're gonna go tonight. We're gonna look at Exodus chapter one. So just to set this up, the the big biblical picture so far in Genesis, the first book of the Bible, is that humanity has forfeited God's blessing through their sin and their rebellion. And so God chose Abraham and his family as the way that God would restore his blessing to all people. That this was the start of Israel, God's chosen people, the family of Abraham. And then Abraham had a son named Isaac. And Isaac had a son named Jacob. And this is where Exodus begins. It's where Genesis ends and where Exodus begins. You see, Exodus is the second book of the Bible, and it picks up right where Genesis left off. And Genesis ends with Jacob, the, 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 um, the son of Abraham, moving to Egypt, leading his family of 70 people. The nation of Israel was 70 people. He led his family to Egypt, where his son Joseph, had been elevated to the second in command of all of Egypt and saved his whole family from famine. So Pharaoh, the king of Egypt at that time, invites Joseph, Jacob, all of his brothers, hey, why don't you stay here in Egypt? A safe haven for you. Why don't you just stay here? And they do. But eventually, Jacob dies, as does Joseph and his brothers, and then 400 years pass. And that's where the story of the Exodus begins, after 400 years. And during those 400 years, you know what the Israelites did? They were fruitful, and they multiplied into a nation in Egypt. And a new pharaoh has come into power at, at the beginning of Exodus, and he was a brutal pharaoh. He sees the Israelites and their, their massive numbers, but he sees them as a threat to his power, because they have become so numerous, he's afraid they will turn on them, join their enemies, and overthrow Egypt. So, because he was fearful, Pharaoh brutally enslaves the Israelites, puts them through forced labor, and then orders all every Israelite boy to be drowned in the Nile River. So Israel naturally cries out for help, and God responds. There's a baby boy born named Moses, and his mother puts him in the Nile not to kill him, but to save him. She puts him in a basket and sends him on his way down the river, and it just so happens that that little basket holding Moses lands at, the, at Pharaoh's daughter's palace, and she finds this Israelite Jewish baby, and she takes him in as her own. Isn't that just, isn't that just how God works? Like Pharaoh's goal was to kill every boy born to all the Israelites. And God says, nope, I've got one. And I'm actually gonna put him in your household. (laughs) And you're gonna raise him on your dime. He's gonna eat your food. He's gonna sleep in your house. So you may try, but God's plans are better. 
I love that little piece of God just saying, you know what, watch this. So the very baby that Pharaoh is trying to kill finds his way right into his own home. So here's what we're gonna do. We're going to scratch, literally scratch the surface of the story of Exodus, and we're gonna find Jesus. We're gonna see Jesus. We're gonna make connections to Jesus, both to Moses himself, but also to the whole event of the Exodus. And so the first thing that we see clearly in the life of Moses and Jesus is his birth. This is the connection. Look at the birth story of Moses, right? Moses was a Jewish man born to, in Egypt under a brutal edict to kill all Israelite boys. That was what Moses was born into. In Exodus 1.16, go look it up. But then Jesus... He was the son of a Jewish carpenter in Israel, born during a barbaric edict as well, to kill every Jewish boy under the age of two because Herod knew the prophecies of the coming king and Messiah. In Matthew chapter two, verse four, it says, Herod gathered all of the chief priests and scribes to look into what? The prophecies of where the Messiah would be born. So in Moses' birth, the birth story, the situation is the same. It is brutal. It is violent. Moses is born in while every other kid was being killed. Jesus is born while every other boy in all of Israel under two was being slaughtered. You see, we see Jesus. We see the foreshadowing of Jesus in the birth of Moses. And what's amazing is both of them have an escape story. Moses escapes to Pharaoh's palace and his daughter raises him. An angel comes to Mary and Joseph and says, hey, you need to go to Egypt. And they escape the slaughter. So we see a connection in his birth, number one. Number two, we see that connection, the foreshadowing of Jesus in his suffering. Moses saw the suffering of his people. You see, Moses grew up in Egypt. He was in the palace and he saw his people being, being enslaved, beaten, treated terribly. And he defended one of them. It finally got to him and he killed an Egyptian soldier, buried his body, and left the palace. He left the comfort, he left the power to go be with his people. Sound familiar? What did Jesus do? Jesus did the exact same thing. He chose to lower himself to identify with us in this world and refuse to have the power of the world when it was offered. Do you remember, if you've read The Temptation of Jesus in Matthew, what did Satan offer him? He offered him all the power and all the praise and Jesus said, no, 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 no. I'm not here for the power. I'm not here for the prestige. I'm here for my people. Paul writes about this in Philippians chapter two, verse five, six, and seven. If you've been in church, you've read Philippians, you know this passage. Paul writes to the church in Philippi, he says, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited or used. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, 
taking the likeness of humanity. And we, when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Moses left the palace to be with his people. Jesus left heaven to put on flesh, to live our life, to be with us, Emmanuel, that he might also redeem us. And we'll get to that. And so we see a foreshadowing of Jesus. We wanna see him clearly through the life of Moses and the Exodus. We see him in his birth. We see it in his suffering. And thirdly, we see it in, in his rejection. They are both rejected. Moses is rejected by his own people. Right? I mean, put, put yourself in, in the shoes of the Israelites in, in, in Egypt. For who knows how long they've watched this Moses guy, one of them living, in, living the good life, watching us suffer. And all of a sudden, he wants to be one of us, right? We see this, the first interaction in Exodus chapter two, right after he kills that Egyptian soldier. He runs into two Israelite men, and they say, who made you commander and judge over us? I don't know about you, but sometimes I've felt that way with the Lord. God, who do you think you are to tell me what I should do with my life? They reject him. And then a few chapters later in Exodus 5, uh, verse 21, after Moses has gone to Pharaoh to plead for their release, let my people go, right? That's the famous line that he says over and over and over to Pharaoh. God sends Moses back to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. And you know what Pharaoh does because he's such a great guy? He says, no, double the workload of the Israelites, Double it. And so the Israelites are now angry at Moses again. And they say, what are you doing? What are you doing, dude? You're making life harder for us. And so twice we see Moses rejected by his own people. And likewise, it's a foreshadowing of Jesus, the son of God, who was rejected by his own people and crucified. Jesus goes home to Bethlehem one time in Matthew 13. And it says, and they took offense to him, at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. Jesus was re rejected by the people he grew up with. The people that lived next door, he was rejected by them in Bethlehem. And then ultimately we see it in the, in the interaction right before Jesus is crucified between Pilate, Jesus, and Barabbas. It was the Passover season and the tradition was that Pilate, the governor of that area, would, would, would release one prisoner. And so what, what does Pilate do? He brings Jesus and he brings Barabbas, a criminal, a murderer. And he says, who do you want to let go? And they choose Barabbas. And they say to Jesus, crucify him. Matthew 27, verse 15, at the festival, the governor's custom was to release to the crowd a prisoner they wanted. At that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, who is it you want me to release to you? Barabbas, or Jesus, who is called the Christ. And they chose Barabbas. 
Moses was rejected by his people because he was foreshadowing the one who would come who would also be rejected by his people. The fourth fourth connection that we see between Moses, Exodus, and Jesus is in his blood, the blood of the lamb. You see, Moses delivered God's people through the blood of the lamb during the first Passover in Egypt. So when you think about Easter here, we talk about the Passover. And this was the first Passover in Exodus chapter 12. You see, God got tired of Pharaoh. He got tired of Pharaoh oppressing his people. And time and time again, Pharaoh hardened his heart towards what God was telling him to do, let my people go. And so God finally said, that's it. I've sent all of my plagues, I've sent everything. And he has still hardened his heart. So guess what God does? He's like, I am going to do the terrible thing that you have done to my people. I'm going to take the oldest child of every Egyptian home. But this is what he tells the Israelites. Exodus 12, verse 21, 22, and 23 says, Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lentil, which means the top of the door and the two doorposts with the blood. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning, for the Lord will pass through and strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and the doorpost, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your house to strike you. You see, Moses Listen to the Lord and said, I'm going to find the sacrificial lamb and we are gonna put the blood on the doorpost so that the spirit of God, when he comes through, he will pass over his people. Sound familiar? Because Jesus became the perfect lamb of God with his own blood on the cross during Passover. Did you know that? Did you know the crucifixion of Christ happened at Passover? Did you know that the very day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey was the, just so happens to be the same day that they called Lamb Selection Day. It was the day where every Israelite home would go and pick out a sacrificial lamb for themselves and for their household. And on the same day that thousands of lambs were coming into Jerusalem, oh, here comes Jesus on a donkey. By mistake, I think not. You see, God's telling a story here. The perfect lamb of God was coming to town. John the Baptist, in John chapter one, verse 29, his famous words, it says, the next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming towards him, and he said, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That God's wrath Remember, his response to evil would pass over those who were covered by the blood of the lamb, Jesus. And so it's his blood, the blood of the lamb that that began with Moses is lived out forever and eternity in Jesus. And then lastly, 
the connection that we see Jesus and Moses and the Exodus is in his deliverance. The Exodus is the story of delivering Israel from, from enslavement. To take them out of what they're enslaved to and into the promised land. You see, Moses was the mediator. He was the one that went in between God and Pharaoh. He was the one working this out. He was doing all the hard work. God would say, hey, go tell Pharaoh this, and then he would go tell Pharaoh this, and Pharaoh would say, "Uh uh-uh, and you'd go back to God. Moses was mediating between God and Pharaoh. And then eventually it was Moses who delivered them out. Pharaoh finally relented after Pharaoh's own oldest son died on that same night, he finally said, let my people go, get out of here. And Moses led them out to the Red Sea. If you've ever seen The Prince of Egypt, fantastic movie. It's very biblically accurate. And millions of Israelites leave Egypt and go to the sea, and it's a sea, they're like, oh no. But Pharaoh changes his mind. And Pharaoh tells his army, go get them. Bring him back. His wrath is now furious. And those of you who grew up in VBS, you probably know this story. God split the Red Sea. The Israelites followed Moses as he delivered them out. He walked them right across dry land to the other side. And when Pharaoh's army was in the middle, God said, done. And the Red Sea ate them all up. And so it's Moses the mediator and deliverer who led God's people out of slavery through the Red Sea and onto the promised land, a place that God had prepared for his people. And in the same way, Jesus is our mediator, but he's a mediator of a new covenant that we no longer have to do sacrifices every year for the forgiveness and payment of our sin. It is done. Jesus mediated a new covenant and said, I am the Lamb of God, and I will die once for all people. And he delivers his people out of slavery and has made a new way for them to be with God in the new promised land, which in Revelations is said, the new heaven and the new earth. And Jesus talks about this very thing in Luke chapter four. The first moment of his public ministry. He opens the scroll in the synagogue and he reads this. Ironically, from Isaiah 61, Old Testament, Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Sound familiar? Moses did it in, in Egypt for the nation of Israel, and Jesus did it in Jerusalem for all of humanity. Jesus is the main character of the entire Bible. So what do we do with this? I wanna offer three things. The first one is just this. Understand that you and I are not the main character in the Bible, Jesus is. When you open God's word, look for Jesus. I think we can very easily, just because of the culture we live in, can always be like, where, where am I in this story? What does this mean for me? 
I'm not saying those are bad questions. I'm just saying they probably shouldn't be the primary question. The primary question should be, where's Jesus? Where's he? So that I can join his story instead of the other way around. You see, God invites you into his story, not the other way around. I'll just be honest. This, this prayer that, we, that, we, that we've told kids for generations, invite Jesus into your heart, I don't see that in scripture. I just, I don't see it. What I see is that God is writing a story of redemption and he's inviting you into his story. And so it's not a, hey, Jesus, you come into me. It's, God, I wanna join you and follow you. You are now my king. I yield my life to you. Because next week we'll talk about the ushering in of a new kingdom, God's kingdom. He is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords. I am not king and I am not Lord of my life. And I think that little phrase, invite Jesus into your heart, gives a twinge of you're still king and you're still in charge. So let's not fool ourselves. And understand that you and I are not the main character in the Bible, Jesus is. Number two, as you tell your story, tell it in light of God's bigger story. Right, if you tell your testimony or you share how God's, uh, you found God's redemption and grace and mercy, whatever your story may be, or however you tell it, tell it in the context of God's bigger story. Man, here's the deal. God came through Jesus to redeem his creation and I'm one of his creation. And you are too. It's not just a situational savior. He is a transformational savior. We don't worship him so we can have a better day. We don't, have a, a, we don't read our Bible so we have a better week. We read so we know what our king says. So we know what the Lord of Lords would have us do because he has redeemed us. He has made a way through the Red Sea that we might cross over from death to life and then on to the promised land. Number three, I have to ask this question. Have you yielded your life to Jesus to join him in his redemptive story? And I worded that on purpose. Have you joined him? Have you yielded your life to him? Or is it constantly, God, would you do this for me? Would you change this for me? Would you change the situation? Would you do, like, does that make sense? Have you joined him and his plan for your redemption? I wanna close with a quote that I found from a guy I've never met before. He died a while ago. He's an Old Testament scholar. His name's Alec Matoyer. And he was talking to some students of his, just having a good old Bible conversation about God's redemptive plan. And this is what he said to his students. He said, think about it. Think of what an Israelite would say on the way to Canaan, the promised land, after passing through the Red Sea. What would they say? If you asked an Israelite, who are you? He might reply, I was in a foreign land under the sentence of death and in bondage. 
but I took shelter under the blood of the lamb. And our mediator led us out and we crossed over. Now we're on our way to the promised land. We're not there yet, but he has given us his law to make us a community and he has given us a tabernacle because we must live by grace and forgiveness and he is present in our midst and he will stay with us until we arrive home. And Alec McTwire told his students, that's exactly what a Christian says almost word for word. I was a foreigner in a land that was not my own. I was sentenced to death and in bondage to sin, but I took shelter under the blood of the Lamb of God. And Jesus led me out and we crossed over from death to life. And now we are on a journey with him to the promised land. We're not there yet, but he will be with us every step of the way. Read the rest of Exodus. God never leaves his people. For 40 years as they wander in the wilderness, he never leaves them. He daily provides bread for them. Manna from heaven, the bread of life, Jesus. Have you yielded your life to him? Have you joined him in his story of redemption? We're gonna leave these so what's up on the screen. If you're new, we do this every week. We just give, just give you some space, two minutes. It feels like longer, right? But here's what I would ask you to do every week when we do 120 seconds, is I would ask you to close your eyes, just, just for distraction's sake, it's not holier, it's just distraction. And you talk to the Lord. Say, Holy Spirit, what do you have for me tonight from this message? What is it about me and you that needs to be made right? What is it in my life that is causing me not to yield to you, but to run my own race, thinking I can just invite you into my story whenever it's convenient? Whatever it is, you just go before the Holy Spirit and ask, God, what do you wanna do? That's what this time is for, just to process and pray. And then in a few minutes, we'll finish with one more song.